Welcome to Modern Sign Books. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their lives and writing with art book specialist Roger Nichols. And don't forget to pick up a copy of your favorite books at bjbooks.com. Here's Roger. Good morning and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Our guest today is the number one New York Times bestselling author, the queen of suspense herself, Mary Higgins-Clark. She has written, well, we can't keep track of all of them, but the guest we have is about 37 suspense novels, four collections of short stories, a historical novel, a memoir, a couple of children's books, uh, several books with her daughter, Carol Higgins-Clark, and five more with bestselling author, Alifair Burke. And more than 100 million copies of her books are in print in the U.S. alone. Her latest is I've Got My Eyes on You. We're very pleased to welcome Mary Higgins-Clark to our microphones again. Hi, Roger. We talked to you last year about As Time Goes By and in 2014 about the Cinderella murder with Alifair Clark. And you told us you often pick your titles from the song lyrics. Now, there's several songs with the title I've Got My Eyes on You, including ones by Jessica Simpson and P.J. Proby. But I'm guessing you're inspired by the Cole Porter tune sung by Frank Sinatra. Well, I often use song titles because I figure they can be romantic or they can be deadly. And I like the idea of I've got my eyes on you because if a young woman has found an 18-year-old found dead in the family pool after having had a kid's party, whose eyes were on her is the question. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, uh, the setup is that uh, 18-year-old Carrie Dowling discovered lifeless at the bottom of the family pool. Police immediately questioned her boyfriend, Alan Crowley, who, despite proclaiming his love for her, had a big fight with her that night. And, uh, well, as they, as they it just goes on from there. And wonderful, wonderful characters are introduced. Was this inspired by a particular incident? No, actually, my son was the one who said, you know what a good plot would be. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, I don't know. And then I said, wait a minute. I think it is a good plot. Thanks. <laughs> so we, we got to work on it. Now, in the acknowledgments at the front of the book, you mentioned that your grandson, David, has fragile X syndrome and inspired the Jamie Chapman character. Uh, and I understand that uh, you're also uh, honorary chair of the uh, Fraxa Research, and you travel around the country to fundraisers. Well, yes, because it is so important when Davy was born, he's 27 now, and seemed to be the perfect baby. And after a few months, he, they noticed there was something, and the doctor diagnosed it. And it was an absolute shock because we never had heard of it, never mind having it in the family. But he's the most delightful human being. And, of course, he is intellectually damaged. So the character in the book is very much the way Davy would act if it was happening to him. And was it? And you you write about that. In fact, that's the opening chapter. Is is that he, he's he's watching this pool party? Was it difficult to write in that limited, more limited uh, understanding? No, it really wasn't, because well, he he's just going back to his school this morning. 
but he's around so much that I know what he thinks. Uh, and it makes it very easy to to just transfer him to a piece of paper. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, it is, uh, boy, I was going to ask, is, is he to the point where he would read and understand the character of the book? If you told him about it, he can't read. Ah. On the other hand, if he meets you and meets you again in 20 years, he'll give your name. <laughs> he never forgets the name. <laughs> and he has a cra- crazy, hardly the word. He has a memory of people meeting way back. He knows exactly who they are and greets them by name and gives them a hug if it's appropriate. So it's the damage is the brain is good, but the signals don't go out so the people can act on it. Oh. I it's sometimes we'd all give a great deal to have that ability to remember those names and faces and put them together because most of us can't do that. Um, uh, this this was a very quick read uh, in that I, I flew through the pages of it. Was it a quick write? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such animal as a quick write. Uh, uh, you know, I had a detective whom I questioned all the time mm-hmm. to see how the police would react. Because, you know, when a girl is found dead... They send away for the prosecutor immediately mm-hmm. to be sure that it was an accidental death. And then the very way they would treat when they, the father grabs a girl from the pool when he and his wife got home. They had been away overnight. And the, what the police do is different from what you expect. One thing, they send the family into the house. They're pretty sure she's dead, but they don't want the family there. Mm -hmm. And then there's a line they call to the medical examiner and describe symptoms. And they say to her, him, she's flat, meaning that she's dead. Mm -hmm. So there are so many things when I want to be authentic. I don't want anyone to make a statement or a judgment unless he or she knows exactly what they're doing. So it's important if you're being taken to the prosecutor's office, you're invited. You know, they have a couple of suspects immediately, but you you don't go in and arrest them without any kind of proof. So you invite them, the detective invites them to come down, and then he can only ask, may I have your phone? Mm-hmm. The, the kid could refuse if he chose to. And then the fingerprinting is still voluntary. And these are the things that I I believe help to make a book feel right to the reader. You know, it's none of God jumping out of a box, as the old saying <laughs> is, when suddenly it's solved by someone who happened to see something. Yeah, th- this, one, this one builds very nicely to a... A conclusion, a a very satisfying conclusion, I'll have to say. I know that one of the real gifts you give to the to the readers is the the ability to find the uh, the telling detail about a character and and bring it on in just a couple of sentences. And one that struck me was when you wrote about uh, uh, June Crowley, the mother of the boyfriend, and 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 here are the two sentences that did it for me. It says June Crowley went to mass every Sunday 
but she was practicing Catholic in the loosest definition of the phrase, it was just as important to her to be beautifully dressed as it was to attend the sacraments. That really paints a picture. Well, I think we knew we know people like that, you know. They go, but they're not paying much attention to it. So it was her character. She wanted to be seen. She wanted to be well-dressed. And the next thing, she wants to get her husband into the country club. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you get, or hope you get, a feeling that she's, that she has certain goals in her life, but then when her son is accused of a murder, she is between blaming him and protecting him, which I think is another way that parents feel. You know, why'd you go to the party kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it's it really has that reality feel to it, and again, again, more depth than the characters. In and one of the things I want to also mention is that your prose is clean in both senses of the word. It's very it dis it disappears into the story. It doesn't call attention to itself, and I think that's a real gift. Well, of course, I have always from day one written a book that will never have explicit sex or explicit language in it. Mm -hmm. I feel I can tell a story just as well without leaving something to the reader's imagination. And so far it's worked. It's been over 50 books and it's still working. I think you've got a, you've got a handle on something that may be successful over time. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. When, when people uh, talk to you about, about the books, when they come up to you after, what are the questions they most often ask you about your writing? Where did you get your ideas? Mm, yeah. And the second one, I'm in a process of writing a book, and I send you a manuscript, <laughs> and we'll discuss. <laughs> no, no, no. You wouldn't do anything else. We don't want you to do that. We want you writing pay copy for us to read, that's for sure. Of course, I, I can't read everybody's idea for a book that comes over, you know, over the desk. But what I say is, look, you've got to write the book. That's the problem people have. They think about it, and they don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I say to older people, the best gift you could give to your family is write about your own life. Mm -hmm. And I, you can get it self-published very inexpensively. And I can't think of a nicer gift under the Christmas tree than our story. And a number of people have done it. And the family is thrilled. My granddaughter said her favorite book of mine is Kitchen Privileges, which is a memoir. And I think you've said at some place that that's one of your favorites because it made you go back and relive your life as you were writing it. Yes, and you know, I just turned 90, God help me, on Christmas Eve. Oh, bless and you. And I'm thinking, God help me, I 89 doesn't sound old, 90 sounds old, the poor soul. But I, I'm really tempted to do another memoir, not just like the one I did before, but sort of an overall. And I think I'm going to get to that because it's been teasing my head and bothering me. So I think that means I have to get to it. It's an itch you have to scratch, absolutely. And believe me, we fans out there would be delighted to see that, absolutely. Um, so get right on that, will you? <laughs> you know, 
I even said to myself, because yesterday was a lazy day after having 34 people for uh, for brunch, oh, and I last uh, uh, today, wait, yesterday is Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did nothing but take it easy. And then I was mad at myself. I thought, I've wasted the day. So I do have the work ethic. It started way even when I was very young. My father died when I was 11, and we had no money. So I was out babysitting and then working as a telephone operator after school. And my mother was working. My brother had a newspaper route. So we all were chipping in a few dollars. So I don't think I've ever gotten over that, nor have I wanted to. I, at one point, I just was reading part of your uh, little sketch about yourself uh, on the Amazon site, and I had not realized that you had been an air hostess as well. Oh, that was a glamorous time of my life. A pandemonium world scareways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there were nicknames for all of the airlines. Uh, for, uh, Air Chance, Air France was Air Chance. Uh, Sabina was such a bitter experience, never again. <laughs> oh, my it goodness. Was a, it was a fun time, and, of course, I had the overseas route, so I was all over Europe and Africa in the time I was there. So it it, it gave me, a, obviously, a great big viewpoint of life when I was just 21 years old. And do you think that that has influenced your writing? Not so much influenced it as the very first short story I sold for $100 was based on something that had happened to me in Prague. Uh, so it did give me the idea for my first sale. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I have $100 and they like my books. I really can say I'm a writer. <laughs> well, I think you've pretty well got that one nailed down by now, indeed. Um, I, and I know you work ahead because it takes some time to get through the publishing process. So I'm assuming that, that there's another book in line already after this one, which just came out. Oh, yes. Alifair and I are writing a book together, as we do every November. Mm -hmm. The publishers like the characters. I had about four books ago and said we'd like to see them continued. But they said, we know you don't want to write two books in one year yourself. So they proposed getting Alifair, and she and I worked beautifully together. So that's the November book. And then in the meantime, we are each doing our own book uh, to come out in, in the spring. So it's a pretty busy schedule. All right. And then after that, we'll look forward to that that memoir uh, that everybody would love to see. Well, I, I'm calling it, I Can't Believe I'm 90. <laughs> <laughs> Which gives a hint that it's not going to be a sweet young thing suddenly getting rich. <laughs> well, I, I think all of us would love to see that. And you, you've been so generous with your time this morning. I really appreciate that. And uh, keep up the excellent work. And we wanted, I want to be around to talk to you in 10 years when you do the uh, 100 thing, okay? There you go.
you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's fun. All right. Our guest, Mary Higgins Clark, and the latest is I've Got My Eyes on You. Highly recommended. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Roger. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Modern Sign Books. Make sure to follow and comment on who you would like to hear next. Feel free to check out our other author interviews. And visit vjbooks.com to pick up signed copies of all of your favorite books.